Minimum Data Set Changes Are Coming, A Conversation with Deborah Wright. This webinar included a visual PowerPoint presentation. To view a video recording, visit the link in the description of this podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to our series of webinars bringing you information on COVID-19 related topics. The information on these weekly webinars are going to be geared towards long-term care in skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who's interested to attend. My name is Casey Stevens and I'm a communication specialist with Quality Insights. Today, we're going to be discussing the minimum data set MDS changes are coming, sections D, O, P, and Q. And now I'd like to introduce our guest today is Deborah Wright. Deborah is a quality improvement specialist here at Quality Insights. She joined our team after being in the long-term care industry for more than 30 years. She has a wealth of information in long-term and nursing management. And she has ranged from certified nursing assistant to vice president of healthcare operations. She's most passionate working with the MDS process and quality improvement. Deb, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Casey. And as Casey said, today we're going to be talking about sections N, O, P, and Q. And just the first couple of slides I'm going to go through here pretty quickly. They're the exact same slides we've had every week for this series. Um, here are the links to the MDS forms and the REI manual, as well as the official YouTube channel from CMS, where they have a number of training videos um, for different sections of the MDS. You just go to their library, type in the in the search engine the section that you're looking for, and um, they have those trainings. Globally, there were changes made to the MDS um, 3.0 REI manual. They, they made all the gender neutral language. There was minor updates to enhance understanding and improve clarity. They changed all of the keys to the I keys verbiage, and they made the revisions um, pertaining to the legal proxy information for family members, significant other um, guardians and representatives to be consistent throughout the manual. There were also revisions to chapter guidance for chapter one, two, and four. We're not going to um, review those here. Just know that those guidances were changed. And then here's all of the data elements that were either revised or are new um, coming for October 1st. So today we're going to um, jump in and start with section N, which is the medication section. So the intent of this section um, is to record the number of days during the seven day look back period since admission or readmission that any type of injection, insulin or any um, select medications were received by the resident. So there were no changes to um, N0-3000 injections, N0-450 antipsychotic medication review, um, N-2001 drug regimen review, and N-2003 and 5 medication follow-up intervention. So those are all the same. Um, they just updated some of the, the guidance throughout. So section N0415, the high-risk drug classes, use and indication. 
So this is a little bit different. Um, instead of counting the number of days that they received these medications, we are now simply looking to see at any time during the seven day look back, did they take that medication? And if they did, do we have an indication? So that's the new piece now. So we're no longer counting the number of days, but we need to make sure that there is an indication in place from the physician. The other thing that they did is they added two more drug classifications to the list. They added antiplatelet and hypoglycemic um, medication, also including the insulin. So now we have the, that insulin in, in a couple different places that we're going to be capturing that. So coding instructions, we're going to code for all high-risk drug class medications according to their pharmacological classification, not how they're being used. So that's a big difference, not a big difference, but that's something that we need to make sure we're looking at because a lot of times we know that the, the reason and the indication is not necessarily the same as the pharmacological classification. So in column one, we're going to be checking if the resident is taking any of the, any of the medications by their pharmacological classification during the seven-day observation period or since admission re-entry um, if it's less than seven days. And then in column two, if column one was checked, then we're going to check to make sure there was an indication for all the medications in that drug class. One thing that I, I do want to point out in, in some of these is that if a medication has multiple pharmacological classifications for that one med, we could potentially code two drug classifications that, that were given. But then we're going to look to see if there was an indication for that drug. So the antiplatelets, we're not going to code antiplatelets such as the aspirin and the extended release under anticoag. We want to make sure that we're coding those under the correct classification of antiplatelets. And then anticoags, um, which we may or may not be requiring laboratory monitoring, such as the Eliquis, those are the ones that should be coded under anticoag. So just make sure that, that you know um, which is an anticoagulant and which is an antiplatelet for those medications. Some additional coding tips that they added um, under the, the coding tips in the new updated manual is your transdermal patches that um, are worn over a period of time. We're only coding those on the day that the patch was applied. So even though the patch may be on all seven days, if it was applied every three days, we would only count the days during the seven day look back that the patch was actually applied during the observation period. And then they, they included the um, clarification that we've all had many times um, is that herbal and alternative medicine products are considered to be dietary supplements by FDA. Therefore, we would not code them as medications. And, and those are that melatonin and, and chamomile and all the different roots and stuff. Um, opioid medications, they, they went into opioids is a big um, focus right now, and they went into some coding tips 
you know, that they can be effective interventions in the resident's pain, but they also carry those risks of overuse and constipation. And we want to make sure that we're doing those thorough assessments and, and, and root cause analysis of what is the resident's pain? Is the opioid the correct medication that should be used for that pain? And we need to be reevaluating the resident's pain, side effects, and any other medication use um, on an ongoing basis. As well as we all know, mental health is, is a big topic right now as well. So the residents that are on antidepressants, we need to make sure that we're closely monitoring them for worsening of depression or suicidal ideation behavior during that antidepressant therapy or any time that we're making changes to that antidepressant therapy. We want to make sure that we're providing that evaluation and monitoring um, and we certainly don't want to stop an antidepressant abruptly because that's going to increase their risk of suicidal ideation and potential behaviors. So special treatments, procedures, and programs. Um, the intent of this really hasn't changed. It's just to identify any special treatment procedure program that the resident received or performed during the specific time periods. We're going to code for those that the resident performed themselves or after facility setup, and we don't want to code those that were provided solely in conjunction with a surgical procedure or diagnostic procedure, such as IV medications or ventilators that happened simply during the surgical procedure. So section O also looks um, a little bit different. Um, and one thing that I, I want to point out, especially for Pennsylvania, I'm not sure what West Virginia is, is doing yet, but um, as we go through this, I'll try to point out some of the, the things that we do know for PA, and then once we get clarification for West Virginia, we'll have a separate webinar to talk about those. Um, but as you can see, the, the headings now are on admission, while a resident, and at discharge. So this has lost that while not a resident um, column. However, that while not a resident column will be on the Pennsylvania um, OSA other state assessment. So we're still going to need that. So we're actually going to be looking for PA. We're going to be looking at four things, but the federal um, assessment is just these three columns. So what are the definitions of on admission and at discharge? On admission is days one through three of the PPS stay. So if we're doing a five-day MDS, that's going to be on admission the first three days of their SNF PPS stay. If they are not um, having a PPS assessment, then this on admission column would be grayed out. At discharge is going to be the last three days of that PPS assessment. And then while a resident we will just have um, the heading. And as you see, when we go through here for the on admission and at discharge, some of the, the categories, they kind of have, they broke them out to be more, um, they want to have more information for that on admission and at discharge. So for chemotherapy, if it's just while a resident, they're just simply, we're marking it like we always did that they had chemotherapy during the last 14 days. But if it's that on admission or at discharge, now they want to know, was that chemotherapy administered um, via IV, oral, or other means? Um, radiation is the same. 
oxygen therapy for that on admission and at discharge, they broke that down into continuous, intermittent, and high concentration. And there's slides throughout here um, that we'll, we'll talk about that give the definitions of each of those. Suctioning, they broke it out as to scheduled or as needed. And the non-invasive medical ventilation, they broke it out into BiPAP and CPAP. IV medications for on admission and at discharge, they broke that down into, was that IV medication a vasoactive medication, an antibiotic, an anticoagulant, or some other medication? Dialysis, they broke down into hemodialysis and peritoneal. And they've added um, an IV access now for peripheral, midline, or central line. And they are looking at strictly, do they have and access the, the phrase in the RMI manuals in their vein. So it doesn't matter if that IV access is there and all they're getting is a flush, we would still code it for the presence of that IV access. So definitions, again, on admission, it's what we just said. It's days one through three of the SNF PPS stay starting with um, the day of the, the, when the PPS started in section A. While a resident, we're going to check all the treatments and programs that the resident received performed after admission within the last 14 days. So we're not going back into the hospital stay or community time. It's the last 14 days while a resident. At discharge, again, it's just the last three days of the SNF PPS stay. So what are the definitions of the oxygen breakouts? So this is going to take a, a little bit to kind of get used to their definitions. Continuous is they've ha had oxygen for 14 hours or greater per day. So if you have somebody that has oxygen at HS and they go to bed at five o'clock at night and you put the oxygen on them and they don't get up till eight o'clock the next morning and then the oxygen comes off, that's going to be continuous. So um, they did not go into how we need to prove this. They they said, watch your, your policies and procedures and how you're going to document to prove that, that 14 hours. Intermittent is less than 14 hours. So if they've had oxygen delivered, but not continuously for that 14 hours, then it would be considered inter intermittent. High concentration, they're considering anybody that's over um, the flow rate of four liters per minute. They're also a high concentration oxygen delivery system um, is one that delivers oxygen at a concentration that exceeds a fraction of inspired oxygen of 40%. Um, and they've calculated that to four liters per minute. This, this slide is just going into, we know what the classifications of meds are. So they broke down the, the IV medications, vasoactive, antibiotics, anticoag, or any other type of um, IV medications, whether it's a diuretic or an analgesia or something else. Section O, there was no coding changes to the influenza or pneumococcal vaccine, but I am going to, I do want to talk about this just a little bit because we are starting to see um, some facilities drop in their percentages. And now with flu 
vaccine starting to um, hit the buildings probably September, October. We want to make sure that you're you're getting credit for all the work that you're doing. So just remember that the influenza and pneumococcal, you really want to look at their history and determine if they've had those vaccines in the community and document that and take credit for that. Um, because they're, they're looking at all of that. You don't want to document no information available if, if you can get the history. There's, there's all kinds of things out there. Pennsylvania, as well as West Virginia, has the immunization um, system on the website where you can register to get access so that you can look up some of the, the vaccine histories as opposed to waiting for the physician offices to get back to you or the families to get back to you with that information. And if you need assistance with that, just just reach out to one of us and um, we will be happy to get you that information. Therapies, really no change with this. Um, the, they clarified that um, the initial evaluation must be performed after the entry to the facility and only those therapies that occurred since admission or re-entry to the facility and after the initial evaluation can be counted. They further clarified that now, in, in, um, except in the case of an interrupted stay. So we know if it's a SNF PPS stay, they go out to the hospital and they come back within those first three days of being out. It's an interrupted stay. And those prior evaluations, we can still count those and continue to provide therapy based on that initial evaluation. Restorative nursing, there were no changes to that section. Physician visits and orders, um, it was removed from the federally required assessments. It will be on the, the Pennsylvania OSA um, MDS, although, so we're still going to have to count those physician visits and orders. We were so excited thinking we never didn't have to do that anymore, but we do. And um, as I keep saying, we're unsure what West Virginia is doing, but as soon as we do, we will um, get that information to you. No changes to the restraints and alarms in section P. And then section Q. So the um, intent of section Q is to interview the resident or the designated individuals places the resident or the family at the center of the decision-making. We all know that. We want to put the resident and their designated individuals um, from day one of their admission to the facility. We wanna start that discharge planning. So what, what um, resources that they need in order to be able to have a safe discharge. So we are going to add participation in the assessment and goal setting, who all participated in that. So we have the resident, the family, significant other, a legal guardian, that's one that's more been um, determined by a court system, other legally authorized representative, that's going to be your power of attorneys um, and, and those such, or if not, nobody participated. What is the resident's overall goal? Do they want to remain in the community or dis, I'm sorry, discharge to the community, remain in the facility? Is their goal to discharge to another facility or institution? Maybe there's a facility that's closer to home. Maybe their goal is to um, go to a lower level of care, such as an assisted living, or they're not, they're not sure what their discharge plans are. And then who, who participated in um, making that overall goal for the resident? Active discharge planning, they um, 
defined what that is. So an active discharge plan means a plan that is um, being currently implemented. If the resident's care plan has current goals to make specific arrangements for discharge, staff are taking active steps to accomplish that discharge goal. There's a target discharge date in the near future. If there's not an active discharge plan, then sh they should be asked if they want to talk to somebody about community living and then re uh, refer them to their local community agent. Um, and there's other referrals that they, they can make and provide information as to all the resources that are available to the resident and their family to see if a safe discharge is, is possible for the resident. So return to the community, we're gonna ask this on admission quarterly and annual assessments. We're gonna ask them, um, do they want the, to talk to someone about the possibility of leaving the facility and returning to live and receive services in the community. Again, who gave us that information, they added that. And then have we made a referral to the local contact agency? Yes or no. So a referral, the item rationale for this is we need to understand that the reason for the referrals were not made. We want to be able to help the, the resident and their family have that safe discharge. So do we not know if they've had a contact before? Did Was there a referral previously made prior to them coming to the facility? Does the resident or family not want a referral made? Or do we know, is the discharge date three or fewer months away, or is the discharge date, are we anticipating that to be more than three months away? So um, definitions for each of those, obviously unknown is unknown. Referral previously made, if a referral was previously made um, to the local, local contact agency, which is currently working with the resident and the facility staff on an active discharge plan to return to the community. We would code three if the referral was not wanted. We would code four if we know that the resident has an expected discharge date of three months or fewer and has an active discharge plan already in progress. And the discharge plan would not be improved with that referral to the local contact agency. And we would code five if the discharge date was more than three months away that they have their expected discharge and a discharge plan is actively in progress. So that is the end of um, the new, the new um, guidance, the new coding that we have for October 1st, the new coding tips. Um, there, I'm sure there, you know, all of us are participating in a number of um, webinars. We're getting information from a number of sources. Some of you have sent me questions after the, the webinars, and that's great. Um, and you can certainly continue to do that. And I'll be happy to answer any questions you have as you continue to move through your facility um, policies and how you're going to gather this information. And um, we can continue to work together with that. So I will look at the Q&A in chat. Thank you, Michelle. Is aspirin considered an antiplatelet? I believe that is in the, they use that as an example, and I will look for that when Casey is talking. If a medication has more than one classification, would you code all classifications, even if there is only one indication? So yes, 
you would code. So it's two separate questions. You're going to code for the classifications of the medications, and then you're going to code for that medication. Did the physician give a classification or give an indication? It may not match what the classification is. So one of the examples is um, if you are giving an antibiotic for a UTI, but the UTI does not meet McGreer's criteria, is that an acceptable indication? And that is an acceptable indication because they say the medication is an antibiotic and the doctor ordered it for a UTI. Maybe it doesn't meet the class, maybe it doesn't meet the criteria for a UTI to code it in section I as, a, as the diagnosis, but the doctor did give an indication for the medication. It would be those medications that the physician does not list the reason that they've ordered the medication, but it could potentially be outside of the classification, and but it would still be an indication. That was a lot of shins in all of that description. So, so I will find the exact wording for the aspirin. Um, hey, Deb, this is Penny. I did look up aspirin just to be sure, and I didn't go into the USB pharmacological USP, which they kind of suggest looking there. In the RAI manual, it does give a couple examples of where you can look for your drug classification. But actually, aspirin, you're, the person's correct. It is an NSAID. And is salicylate. Sorry if I said that. And it is also considered a platelet aggregate inhibitor, which yeah, means an antiplatelet. Yeah. So yeah, it's actually one of those medications that is classified a couple different ways. But I do know in the RAI manual where it says, if you're not sure about the classification, it does give a couple places where you should go to officially find a classification of a medication. Yeah, and they also um, put out a um, Q&A um, from their last training that they did in June. And that's also one of the Q&As um, about, and that's where I thought I had seen it as well, is that aspirin would be coded as an antiplatelet. Yeah, because it in some places that is a classification for aspirin. So I would say that's pretty. Yes. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank all of you for joining us, and we hope you can join us again next week. Thank you. If you want to contact Deborah Wright, you can reach her at dwright at qualityinsights.org. You can check out our other interviews at qualityinsights.org slash QIN slash multimedia 